Thanks, Carrie. <laughs> I got my own. So you notice we are doing a little different order of worship this morning. Because as we go through this word, I wanted it to lead us into our time of worship. And so we're going to have our extended time of worship at the end of the service today. But talking about Luke 15, today I'm going to connect our main scripture, which Gary just read, but also to the scripture we read at the Advent candle, the shepherd's candle. And we're still talking about why Christmas matters. But I want to begin by uh, talking about a movie from the, the 80s that I really like. And it's Uncommon Valor. I don't know if anyone's seen it. it is a, it's a great movie. It, it does have some language in it that gave it an R rating. But uh, in some ways it's still worth watching. Gene Hackman is a father who's a colonel former colonel, whose son had gone missing in Vietnam, in Vietnam, and he finds evidence that his son, as well as a few other young men, are being held in a prisoner of war camp in Laos, right next to Vietnam. And so he finds out that the U.S. government won't or can't do anything to help him, so he collects a group of, of ex-soldiers who have their own struggles. And he, he arranges and sets it up that they will go on a mission to re, basically rescue, re, get them out, these POWs who were lost or uh, being held captive in this country. One thing that stuck out to me is that when they go into Vietnam to, to get ready for the operation is they want to go unnoticed. They don't want people to know what they're doing. And so they even go to the lengths of eating Vietnamese food for the, the months prior, you know, as they train for this, so that, he says, so that you don't go over there smelling like Americans. You know, they learn to, to do that. They want to go unnoticed until it's time to put the plan into action and to actually spring the troops. And in fact, when the, the military, really the CIA, does find out about the, the plan that they have. They try to stop him and end up confiscating the, some of the weapons that they were going to use to try to go in for this rescue mission. I want us to think for a minute about this Christmas story. What if we think of it as a rescue mission? Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came on a rescue mission. But how did he come into this world? Well, he came in his birth quietly. Not seeking to draw attention, right? He came in a humble manner so that his birth would pretty much go unnoticed by the world. And that's exactly what happened. And the Roman Empire, they, they were at you know, the birth took place within the Roman Empire, but they had Augustus Caesar, who was now, at the time of Jesus' birth, was at the height of his power, and they had the, they called it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, that, you know, their civil wars were ended, and now things were, were good. They, they took no notice of some baby born off on the edge of their empire. And then King Herod, who was appointed by, by Rome over the Jews, 
he, he wasn't too interested when, you know, he found out there, there might be a baby born. And he, he never went to go check it out, though he did later come to fear a, a rival king. So he tried to have the baby put to death, tried to have Jesus killed. So he did try to stop it, but he never went to check it out. The religious leaders in Jerusalem, those who had been waiting for the Messiah to come, when the Magi had come saying, hey, this king is going to be born in Bethlehem, they, they didn't go check it out. They were in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's only six miles from Bethlehem. They didn't travel six miles to go, hey, let's, let's see what's going on. His birth went unnoticed by the important people in the world. Of course, the townspeople of Bethlehem, right, they're busy with their own stuff. They didn't have a room for them to, to, to let a pregnant woman have a baby inside. So Jesus was born outdoor and laid in a manger. And God arranged for all of it. God set up the coming of a son in that manner um, to go unnoticed because he was coming on a rescue mission. And until the time came for the, the mission to go active, Jesus kept a low profile. There were two groups, though, that God took special action to inform of the coming of the birth of Christ. Two groups that came and worshipped the newborn king. And I want to consider them for a minute. The first group is the shepherds out in their fields. These were men, um, could have been older men and younger boys included, these shepherds who were watching over the street. They were simple working men. And they got a visit from an angelic being, a, a creature from outside the world. It's called an angel of the Lord. Now, the angel of the Lord, the angel that came to both the previous two encounters in Luke was the angel Gabriel. In this passage, there, it doesn't give us a name. We don't know if it's Gabriel again for the third time or whether it's just another, you know, Gabriel said, oh, okay, you, you get to do this announcement. You know, we don't know which angel it was, but he comes saying, you're going to see something pretty odd. You're going to find a baby lying in a, a food trough, a manger outside. It's going to seem strange. But know this, that that is Christ the Lord. That is the Savior who's come into the world. That is the Messiah, the Christ that, that the Jewish people have been waiting for. And, and so he gives that announcement to these shepherds. So just one angel. And then what's interesting is the rest of the angels. It says a whole heavenly host start to join in, and it says they begin singing and praising God. All, it's like the whole, whole heavens light up when all these angels. It's like they all can't wait to jump in because what was happening with the birth of Jesus was so momentous. The angels could see it even, even though we couldn't. Human beings, we just saw a baby in a manger. That was odd. But the angels could see the divine reality that the God of the universe had stepped into to human history. And they, they couldn't help themselves. They just burst out. And these poor shepherds like, whoa. You know, it was probably too much for them. But they go, they go check it out. So, so in the angel's message, he, he makes a few things clear. He says, a Savior is born in the city of David, Bethlehem, and you can go find him. He's coming, and you could go check this out for yourself. The second thing he makes clear is this child is the Messiah, the Christ, the one, the Jewish people, the ruler, 
the Jewish people have been waiting for, but he's not born in a palace. He's born in this humble manner. And the third thing the angel makes clear is this is good news of great joy for all people. Good news of great joy. That what Jesus came to do has significance for for all people, beyond what people can imagine. In the time of Jesus, the temple system was run in a, in a way, and, and even the, the law of God was interpreted in a way that put God out of reach for most people. Most people had, didn't, didn't have this idea that they could know God, connected to God, um, especially the poor and the hurting. In other words, knowing God and living righteously was only for the professionals, only for the wealthy and, and those who had power and the religious leaders. The rest of the people had been shut out. And I think Jesus, or God set up the coming of Jesus this way, including the shepherds, to make a point that the salvation he came to bring was good news for all, not just those who were powerful and important and the religious leaders. In fact, those folks might miss out because they're so busy with their own agenda. You know who's going to be included in the kingdom of Christ? Shepherds and the hurting, the lost, the poor, the blind, the lame, the people. Those are going to be included in this message. It is good news, great joy for all people. What about the other group? that got clued in to the birth of Christ. Well, that was the the magi, the wise men who came from the east. So the word in for them in the Bible is the magoi. Think magi or magic. They were part of the the, the system in the east. The Babylonians and the Persians were obsessed with with astrology and the movement of the stars, and these guys were a part of it. In other words, they were outsiders to the message of the Bible about one God. They they were steeped in a pagan worldview. Now, they themselves somehow were able, and God was somehow able to communicate to them in a way that they could hear. God arranged the stars so that these men could see something was going to happen. And God communicated to them, even as the rest of the world took no notice. So whatever was going on with the stars, God was able to, to bring these Magoi, and they could see that the Messiah, that, that a, a someone was being born of great importance. And they, they, they were so convinced, they came 500 miles. They walked 500 miles just to see Jesus. And then they'd walk 500 more just to go home. Like, that was this big a deal for them. And yet at the same time, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, the ones who were supposed to be waiting for the Messiah, wouldn't walk the five or six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to check it out. That was all part of God's plan. I believe that the shepherds were included because it conveyed that this was good news for all within Israel, including the, the poor, the blind, the lost, the, the lame, the regular people. And I believe the Magi were included because it conveyed that it is good news for all peoples. That the new covenant, the coming of Jesus, he came as the Savior 
for, for all tribes and nations and languages. In Revelation 7, we get that picture of this, that, that as the church, as the message of the church is shared, this is what it says. John, John sees, I saw and behold a great multitude that no one could, could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. The kingdom of Jesus would include people from every tribes, peoples, and languages. It is good news of great joy for all the peoples. And Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And to bring home that point, he told a parable from Luke 15. So let's jump into that passage. I'd invite you to kind of follow along. I'm not going to reread every bit of it. But in verse 1 of Luke 15, it says that tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, meaning hear Jesus. And that it says the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man, meaning Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. So that's telling us that Jesus talked to and connected with, engaged the people who were not religious. The, the people who had, had no knowledge of God, the, the tax collectors and sinners. So what's up with tax collectors? Well, remember, the Jews were not independent people. The Romans ruled over Israel. And so to be a tax collector meant you had taken sides, side, with the Romans. That's usually it doesn't make you very popular. So these were people who had been shunted out of, out of polite society. They were often hated, especially by their religious leaders. And so they said, oh, you're just tax collectors and, and all you sinners over there. Probably included people of all kinds of, of things, those who didn't fit in. Yet Jesus interacted with them. He, he had a way of drawing them to himself. They got this idea in their head that Jesus actually liked them and liked being around them. Jesus received them. He welcomed them in his presence. And, and when it says he ate, ate with them, that was a, especially in the Middle East. You ate with someone, that was a sign of friendship. Imagine having someone over to your house. And so Jesus welcomed these people. And the religious leaders at the time didn't get it. They're like, they grumbled against what Jesus was doing. They felt it was their religious duty to dislike those people that Jesus were hanging out with them. That, that, that it was important to convey their disapproval of their life and their actions. And it says the Pharisees and scribes, the scribes are the ones who studied the, the law of God. The Pharisees were a particular group. So often many of them were scribes as well. But the Pharisees were a group that, here's what they believed. They believed that, that the law of God, um, the Bible was the law of God. That God spoke through the Bible. They, they believed that there would come a future resurrection and a future judgment. They, they believed that people should try to live out the law of God. So, so the Pharisees believed the right things. They believed the same things Jesus believed and taught. But yet, they got it wrong because they, they just couldn't understand what Jesus was doing. 
they, saw, they were unhappy that Jesus welcomed people who they saw did not measure up. And they thought Jesus should shun those sinners or at least somehow make sure they knew of his disapproval. And so in light of that, Jesus tells a parable in this situation. And so what, what parable does he say? He tells a parable about a shepherd. And I'm suggesting that he told this parable to explain why he's doing what he's doing and to try to help the Pharisees see and understand. He wants them to understand the work that he's trying to do. So the parable is, is really super simple. He says there's a man who has 100 sheep, and, and if he loses just one of them, he will leave the 99 sheep, you know, alone and put his focus on going after that one lost sheep. Now, now having 100 sheep is a pretty good flock. That's, that's, a, that's a, you know, a decent number. And you can imagine if you lost one out of that 100, you could probably bear that loss. That you could even just write off that one sheep and not worry about it, you would still be able to, to do pretty well with your 99 who are left. But Jesus, no, that, that's not the attitude of a good shepherd. A good shepherd doesn't just write off that one lost sheep. Instead, he goes after that sheep. He seeks it out and seeks to bring it back, seeks to rescue it. That, that lost sheep would certainly be prey to wolves or, or, other, or, the, or broken legs or, or dangers. And what Jesus is doing is he's making a point that these sinful people that he's hanging out with, they're lost. They don't know what they're doing. Their lives, yes, their lives fall way short of the righteousness God means for them. But yet God has not written them off. Now, Jesus doesn't say it here to the Pharisees, but elsewhere he will point out to the to, that religious, to the religious leaders, that, that their lives actually fall well short of the righteousness God desires for them as well. They're just better at hiding it than most people. And so that there's not just one lost sheep. There's a lot more than one. But the point of it being that one lost sheep is that even if it was just one, it would be worth going after. And Jesus came to seek out such people. He is the shepherd in the story. Now, maybe the people Jesus is interacting with, these tax collectors and sinners, it's possible not all of them will turn their life around. Maybe they're hanging out with Jesus, but then they'll go back to doing the, the junk that they've been doing. Maybe it won't change them. Um, but the, the Pharisees, and I, and I bet the Pharisees could point out how some of them are still falling short but the point that Jesus is making is we have to go after them. They're worth pursuing, even if, even if it doesn't work out. And then he gets to the, the point. Think about for a minute, what is Jesus asking the scribes to do? Let me read verse 6 again. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. He's inviting the scribes to do just that. Rejoice with me. Instead of grumbling against what the, the work he's trying to do, he's saying, rejoice with me. 
at what God is doing in the lives of these people. Why? Verse 7, because that's the Father's attitude. It says there's more joy in heaven um, for just one sinner who repents than all those who don't need to repent, right? That's the Father's attitude. The, the joy in heaven is the joy of the Father. That's His attitude. And I love to, to try to connect that, that verse, verse 7, with what we read earlier with the, uh, the shepherds. And there suddenly there was in heaven the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, in other words, the joy of Luke, of Luke 2, the joy of the, the angels as they see God's mission unfold, the excitement they have to see what God is doing. It's a rescue mission. That's what it's about. In that movie, Uncommon Valor, there's a point where Gene Hackman's character, there's all kinds of obstacles in going after his son. And he tells his, the fellow soldiers, okay, it, I, I'm, I'm releasing you. I can't hold you to this. I don't know if we can make this work. But then he says, but for me, I have to go in, even if I go in with a pocket knife, because my son is out there, and I, I won't let anything stop me from reclaiming him. That is the heart of God the Father. He cares about the broken, hurting people. And because of that, he sent his son on a rescue mission. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek after those who had missed out on God for whatever reason. Those who, who just seem to be taken captive by the world and are caught up in everything that this world offers and all the deceits and traps. He came in pursuit of those who had made bad decisions and made a mess of their life. Yes, they, have, they are sinful, broken people, and they make a lot of bad decisions. But Jesus says, you know what? Those who are well have no need of a doctor. But it's those who are sick who need a doctor. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners back to God. Jesus came to seek out those who've wandered away from the truth and have gotten caught up in the lies of this world. They believe stuff that, that's wrong, that they're in the darkness, right? They're, they're trapped in, in the lies. They don't know the things they need to know. But Jesus said when, when Zacchaeus made a change in his life, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house since he, Zacchaeus, also is a son of Abraham. And then he said this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, those who are outside the truth. Jesus came to bring good news for the hurting, the messed up, and those trapped in sin and addiction and cycles of violence. Sometimes their lives are really messy. And sometimes the, the things, it's, sometimes it's difficult to even get connected to their life with all the messiness. They live in darkness. They live under the rule of darkness. But Colossians 1.13 says, For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. He came after people who are living in that darkness. And Jesus came to include those who've been left out the one society is written off to those even too timid to speak up for themselves. I, I love Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit, those who get left out of everything else, God is going to make sure they don't get left out of his kingdom because Jesus came in pursuit of them as well. 
He came to seek and to save the lost. He came on a rescue mission for people in need. There's three things I want you to walk away with today as we, and before we actually go into our main worship time. One is we have good news. The message of Christianity, the, the core of it is good news. It, the, the, the word gospel means the good news. The good news is the story of Jesus, the Son of God who came in pursuit of sinful people to bring us back to God. The word for that, the word for gospel in Greek is called the evangelion, the evangel. And that's where we get the name evangelical. And evangelical, and this is an evangelical church, it's a church that believes that the good news is a central thing we should be sharing. That people more than anything else need to hear that. Yes, there, there's moral laws we need to, to, to consider, and there's, there's all kinds of things, but we keep at the center of it all the good news that Jesus came to rescue people. That's what it means to be an evangelical church. The gospel is the central message, the overriding message of what we share. We don't lead with how messed up the world is. We lead with how good God is. Good news of great joy. The most powerful tool we have in sharing our faith is joy. The joyfulness that we have. Not that everything always goes right for us and everything is always nice and easy in life, but we have an inner joy, an abiding joy that carries us through the darkest times we have. And people, when they see that joy, they want it. It is attractive. We have a joy that the world cannot comprehend. Are Christians always seen, though, as people of joy? Does it sometimes seem like, at least to the world, that we're more like the grumbling scribes? Complaining about how the world is going down the tubes, right? Oh, this happened. We're in trouble now. You know, this went bad again. And, and we're especially, you know, how, how, how the millennials are just destroying everything. Do we have a millennial in the house? Anyone willing to own up to it? Do, do the older generation of Christians sometimes blame your generation for everything? Yeah, that's okay. We can blame them. We can, you know, go back. I'm, I'm in the middle. I'm, I'm Generation X, so um, we're, we're responsible for a lot of bad stuff too. Um, but what if instead we were seen as a joyful people? that had a sustaining joy of Jesus in everything we do. We're not just focused on how wrong everything is. We're focused on how good God is. I think people just might want to be a part of that. We have good news of great joy for all the people. The message of Jesus is for all people, at least potentially. It's for all types of people. It's for people at all social levels. It's for people of all races. It's for people of all languages. It's for people of all personality types. Not just the type A go-getters. It's also for the timid and quiet people too, right? Jesus came for all of us to seek us out. I, I love how it says, the meek will inherit the earth. The people who are too afraid to ask for anything, they still get in on the deal, right? They get included in what God is doing. And that means there are people in your life, people who don't know the love of Jesus, people who are living secular lives and caught up in the things of this world, whom God is at work in. 
Sharing our faith is not about us persuading people into our religion. It's about being attentive to where God is at work in the lives of those around us. I was thinking about, should I challenge you all to invite people to church? Well, it's kind of an awkward time to do that, isn't it? You know, half the world is convinced that, you know, we can't go to anywhere or a crowd like this. So, so maybe this is not the best time just to invite someone to church. But we can still build a friendship and get to know people and start to listen to them and find out what their hurts are, their joys are, so that if it ever a time did come when we could speak into their lives, they know that we like them, that we're not against them, that we're not looking for opportunities to judge them, that we care about them. And if they know we care about them, they just might be willing to listen to what we had to say. So my challenge for you is in this period of this winter, when maybe we can't invite people to stuff like we'd want, be attentive. Let Pray about this. Ask God, is there one person I should just be, be attentive to? That someone in my life I, I haven't thought of yet, that maybe you're at work to do something in their lives. And just start praying for that person and, and listen well as you talk to them. That's my challenge for all of us in these next three months. And we'll see what God can do with that. Because we are people of good news, of great joy for all the people. Let's, le- let's let that lead us into our worship time as we, we sing out and just rejoice in God's amazing grace and goodness. Let me close in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you that Jesus came on a rescue mission to set us free from the things that would, would do damage in our lives. We thank you for the love that, that you show not only to us, but to, to people around us. Lord, help us to join you in that mission, to rejoice and not grumble, to, to be excited about how you might play a part in using this, this fellowship to let the good news be known. We pray that you would use us in Jesus' name. Amen.